Welcome to the DC Beer Show, everybody. I am Jake, and we are DC Beer across social media. Mayor Bowser, mask mandate, whatever. But please, keep the vax mandate. Come on, be smart about it now. Mike Stein, what are you drinking? Well, I'm back, vaxxed, and all the ROMs I pack. I am drinking Ancho Culture, with a K, the collaborative beer from Ancho and Beer Culture. Uh, Beer Culture is a wonderful organization. Uh, They have a chief executive officer, Letitia Cook. Um, She's the president. They have a wonderful vice president, Christopher Johnson. Um, And it seems Ancho, our beloved cider in D.C., uh, sent the Beer Culture team some samples. They came up with this blend. It's a wonderful cider blend of Albemarle, Pippin, Harrison, and Dabonet. Um, And the most important thing, I mean, the cider is wonderful, just liquid in the glass. But uh, this Beer Culture and Ancho Cider, uh, as well as a tripartite collab with the American Cider Association, has provided three scholarships for both levels of the American Cider Association Certified Cider Professional Program um, and registration for each recipient and a guest to CiderCon, which just happened in Richmond, Virginia. So that's what I'm drinking. It's a wonderful cider. Jake, what's in your glass or what's in your can or bottle in hand? I have here um, Silver Branch's Hop Trials, where we get to be the judge. Um, They've released two different IPAs, and their third anniversary is coming up, and they're going to release a flagship hazy the first week of March, and we all get to be a part of that. Um, So there's a six-pack. We can get A and Z. I have here Z because I think, like most right-thinking people do, that Z is better. Um, Just like a little bit more body that you can hang all these hops on. Wow. Um, It's got... Line in the sand, Jake. Yeah. Really going all in. Look, like it it is what it is. Everyone's taste is subjective and different, and there could be no disputing it. Um, among the many people I have talked to, Brandy included, um, I think that we we are in agreement that Z is the better beer. Brandy, what are you drinking? Hey, Jake and Mike, I do agree with all of that. Uh, I do. I did like the Z. I'm currently drinking a an Ocelot Brewing and a Wheatland Spring Brewing collaboration beer called Rumors. This beer is a doppel alt beer. Mm. And if you know me, you know that's right up my alley. (laughs) It clocks in at 7.9, and I will say, beer was pretty damn good. Mike Stein, introduce our guest, please. Absolutely. So joining us on the pod, longtime friend of the DC Beer Show, has poured beer in DC, um, you know, has, has, has served us suds and slung us suds. And is now making lots of waves in the beer world. Um, also a, a, has been a wonderful writer. So Jamal Lemon, Charleston, South Carolina, born and raised. He's a Cicerone certified beer server who's co-creator of the Wayfarer Study podcast, father of Satchel and husband of Nikki. He's a diehard fan of the Clemson Tigers, Imperial Chocolate Stout, and Thursdays. Tune in here to the wonderful, one-of-a-kind Jamal Lemon. We are here joined by award-winning author Jamal Lemon. Jamal, thank you for joining us. Thank you, brother man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Jamal, tell the listeners, if they don't know, who is Jamal Lemon? 
Oh, you'll be telling the listeners, not you, because I was confused by this. Why are you asking me who I am? All this time we spent last year FaceTiming, Zooming, and all that. But since you only do it for the, for the, for the listeners, I'll do it. I'm not doing it for you, Mike. Um, Jamal Lemon, born and raised Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, currently uh, living in Baltimore City with my beautiful wife, Nikki, and my beautiful son, Joseph. Just writing stuff, drinking stuff, hanging out, trying to get the breweries, uh, trying to keep COVID off our backs. Avid CrossFitter. Um, and what else? Eh, that that may be it. I'm in the house a lot. I'm still teleworking. So. Got you. Well, that's, uh, that's a bit about you. You do a, a whole host of wonderful things. Um, you write about beer, you write about music, you photograph beer, you photograph people, landscapes, all kinds of stuff. Um, we know you've, you've poured beer here locally in D.C. You've poured beer in Baltimore. Um, where is your favorite place to pour beer? Yeah. Oh, you're trying to get me in trouble, I see. <laughs> um, oh, man. So it, it, it kind of depends. Atlas will always be home base for me. That's, you know, that's where basically where I learned uh, not everything about the industry, but like that, Atlas was my uh, uh, second introduction to, to a beer. And that's where I really kind of got, um, just got obsessed uh, with, with the industry. This is, this is Atlas Brew Works in Northeast DC on, on West Virginia Avenue. Yeah, and um, like so, some of my best friends I met at Atlas. Uh, shout out to my boy Josh and Ryan and Kelly, and uh, shout out to Justin, the owner too, man. Um, so Atlas is going to always have a, a soft spot in my heart. I also worked at a, a Suspended Brewing here in uh, Baltimore in the Pigtown neighborhood. Now Suspended, it's cool to pour beer there because Suspended um, doesn't have like TVs in their tap room. So it's very much, uh, you know, you're engaging with the customers a great deal. And it's uh, really cool because they're nestled in Pigtown where there's like not, oh, no, there, there's Checker Spot. Checker Spot's not far from uh, Suspended. But most of the patrons that come into Suspended are people that actually live in the neighborhood. So you see them every weekend and then, you know, you know them by first name basis. They know you. And so that's always cool. And uh, I also worked at uh, Mobtown Brewing uh, where they just always and this is no shade on the, uh, the the other two. But like Mobtown always has a litany of awesome beer and like a lot of styles that normally I don't care for. But uh, 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 Dave and uh, Darren and I think uh, my boy Trevor is uh getting his hands on the production side also like they do a really good job of uh putting some some really good tasty beers together so mm. and that's in baltimore correct that's in baltimore that uh mob town is in the brewers hill neighborhood mob town mm. is about three years old i think now mm-hmm. uh, and again suspended's in uh the Pigtown neighborhood and uh atlas is in uh ivy city in northeast dc mm-hmm. so pouring in dc pouring in baltimore um you've definitely uh you know go, got your hands dirty and poured some beers and entertained lots of folks but i'm now drinking a beer a beer called eight and all 
which has your picture and your name on the can. Oh, man. You still have some left over, huh? I've got some. Tell me about this beer. Why does this why does this beer have your picture and your name on it, eight and all? Now, do you do you want me to start from the beginning, Mike? Because you know this is a very this is a drawn out story. It's a setup. It's a yeah. setup, folks. So, I, I I start at at whatever point feels feels right <laughs> to you. Yeah, I'm going I'm going to start from the beginning because I I I do think it's in part important. All biases aside, but uh, this gracious lovely human being that I'm speaking with right now, Mike Stein, was, uh, I guess, in talks about a research project uh, that took place in Charleston, South Carolina, called the Schutzen Fest. And in those uh, initial conversations, he was speaking with uh, Peter Gard Jones, who's also a sweetheart and a historian based out of Washington State by the name of Brian Alberts, who is also a sweetheart. Um, I, at this point in time, was not in this equation. So I think, you know, those guys, you were, you know, you guys were having these conversations about this gun and beer festival, German gun and beer festival called the Schussenfest that took place in Charleston, South Carolina. What makes this story interesting is because there was an African-American involvement into this story, which at a peculiar time uh, took place during uh, Reconstruction, which is right on the heels of the the end of the Civil War. So that's, you know, African-Americans are most recently, air quotes, freed from enslavement and trying to assimilate themselves into uh, American society. And somehow they get involved in this uh, German gun and beer festival. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, because of the African-American involvement, you guys were uh, almost kind of like hesitant to kind of like tell this so I think you you were probably trying to you guys were probably thinking of how can we tell the story? Do we know anybody from Charleston? And I think you know because you know you and I, Mike, you and I had already, and I actually knew Brian Alberts also. But I think I've known you the longest at this particular time. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, and I thought I think that you mentioned me, and of course Brian's like, oh yeah, I, I know Brian. So I knew Brian because Brian came to D.C. Um, for a panel discussion at the Hyrick House that I moderated, and that was my first time meeting uh, Brian. Didn't didn't know Pete at the time, um, so that's how I got into the story. Um, well, got got involved uh, with this project. Um, you know, Mike. Oh, I, I, Jamal's from Charleston. He's in the beer industry, obviously. You know, let's bring him in and kind of like I don't know. Pitch is the right word, but like, let's pitch this idea to him to see if he would be uh, open to, you know, being involved with this project. And when you guys mentioned it to me or were explaining it to me, I can't lie. Like, I was hesitant, man, because, you know, and even at this point and hell, even now, like, I don't calling myself a writer is always hard. Like, my wife is always kicking me in the ass. Like, you need to just call yourself a writer because that's what you do. Like, you've been doing it. It's like, all right. But like at that particular time, when you guys were talking about the story, and I had, first of all, I had never even heard anything about the Shoots and Fest. And, you know, my mom's a retired history teacher. I know pretty much everything there is to know about South Carolina history, because my mom always, we always talked about it since I was very, very little. Never heard anything about this uh, festival. Um, So, you know, I was a little little hesitant because like i'm not a historian 
Brian's a historian. Mike, you're a historian. You know, you and Pete working with Lost Loggers, like, you guys do this. I'm just the guy that just, you know, may work at a tap room here and there, may write for Good Beer Hunting every once in a while. Like, you know, yes, I'm from Charleston, but I'm not a historian, so I was a little hesitant. Um, So as we were talking, we were just trying to think of ways we could tackle this story. And I think, like, that following weekend is when I went home. I went home to uh, check on my mom. And I, every time I go home, I always call one of my buddies, KJ, matter of fact. I always call my boy KJ Kearney um, when I go back home to Charleston. And just to, you know, hang out. We always go to a, a brewery somewhere. And um, So let, let's let the audience know. KJ Kearney is uh, a, a well-regarded, I, I hesitate to call him an Instagram influencer, but he runs Black Food Fridays, and he does these wonderful reels, Black Food Fact. Um, t- tell us a little bit about your buddy, KJ Kearney, and, and what he does and how he influences you and you influence him in the circles you, you both run in and, and, and the moves you both make. Yeah, so I, um, I left Charleston in 2007 to move to D.C. because I just got tired of being in Charleston. You know, Charleston has, uh, Charleston has a lot of history and a lot of that history is like rooted in like just segregation racism and prejudice, just all, all the ugly stuff, right? So I got up out of Charleston in 2007. KJ, who is, as you just mentioned, like this really cool, creative guy, like he does all this cool Instagram stuff, TikTok stuff. And um, he's like, he's doing like a lot of social commentary about specifically about the city of Charleston and how uh, Charleston can like reform its image as it's uh as it relates to like racism and and systemic racism in in particular but he is i don't know i've just always been drawn to kj and like the things that he does like the projects and like just the events he's doing a lot of the things now that when i was in charleston like i wanted to be a part of those things but those things weren't they weren't happening. They weren't available. So that's why I left. But now, you know, that he's kind of like doing all these cool cultural things in Charleston. Like he's like he's the first person that I call to, to hang out with when I go home. And, you know, we're always he's doing a lot of things. I'm doing a little bit of things, but we we bounce ideas off of one another. Matter of fact, he was up here in Baltimore uh, last weekend and we hung out. KJ's a cool fella, man. Like, again, like I was saying, like, he has a wealth of knowledge and all these ideas about things that he wants to do. And uh, so we just, we, just, we always just talk and we try to link our respective industries to one another, me being in the beer industry and him uh, more so on the uh, on the food side. And um, which we eventually kind of did with this project. We kind of like uh, aligned. Uh, our our brands or our industries together to kind of for like a, a a common ground theme sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. One interesting thing that's mentioned on the can of Eight and All, it says Eight and All is a dark American strong ale. Our hope is that you pair it with red rice, fried okra, boiled peanuts, and many other Gullah Geechee dishes. And I know you know having worked on this project with you for Good Beer Hunting that uh, the city of Charleston actually proclaimed Red Rice Day in honor of these iconic Gullah Geechee dishes uh, featuring rice. And that had that largely uh, was it was thanks to KJ. It's the KJ, um, man. Yep. That Red Rice Day, that that this is, uh, you know, a, a something that he worked very, very hard on. The, you know, he's he's described in the Post and Courier of, of South Carolina paper as a Charleston activist and educator. 
Um, would you call yourself an activist and educator? I know I've certainly learned from you, so I would call well, you an educator. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> How do least. you see yourself in, in, in this work that you're doing? Man, I have, I suffer from imposter syndrome, man. Like I, so I'll give you the educator and that's only because I have, uh, like, yeah, I have a degree in education. So I am all, you know, I'm always looking for, uh, a lane to kind of like teach. Um, so I, I will say that activism, activism, activists, I mean, I guess, you know, as, especially with the, the most recent project that we did with the, um, you know, to take care of the root. I, I definitely think that we did a really good job. And I think that ball, that ball is still rolling uh, from, you know, from that project that we put together. We definitely shined a light on a lot of things, specifically in the city of Charleston, that um, it can do a lot of, a, a better job of, of doing when it comes to telling stories and aligning with history for, you know, for brands and things like that. So yeah, I'll, I'll take that one also. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, I, I certainly know that since we, we did pitch you a while ago on this, on this journey, um, we were really looking for someone with an authentic voice that could uphold uh, the experiences uh, of being born and raised in Charleston and, you know, you are uh, a descendant of, of Gullah Geechee ancestors who really uh, have a, a, a most incredible lineage, uh, you know, tied to West Africa, people who uh, live, you know, all the way southerly from Florida up to South Carolina, even a little the points north. What can you tell our listeners who might be unfamiliar about Gullah Geechee culture um, and the influence that you know, uh, these ancestors and, and then, uh, uh, playing into today with folks like you and KJ, um, what can you let them know about this culture that, uh, is still alive and well in, in Charleston and in Florida and in Georgia? Well, one, and this, you know, maybe a little bias also, I, I think parts of South Carolina in particular, uh, the coastal regions, uh, specifically like Charleston and areas like Buford and all of that, these are like, these are, I can't really say it because I've never been, but I can say that those are like very heavily West African influenced areas, all the way from the dialect, from the cuisine and the landscape. So a lot of West Africans were brought to uh, the port of Charleston to cultivate rice. Rice was like gold in Charleston, uh, during, uh, you know, prior to the end of the civil war, West Africans were, were good at cultivating growing rice because they did it in West Africa. And because of the landscape, because the landscape in Charleston and many parts of uh, like coastal Georgia and Florida, uh, that coastline mimicked or looked somewhat like the the coast of uh, West Africa. So it was easy for them to, to cultivate rice. And not only that, when they were brought over, because the landscape looked, you know, similar and because the climate was somewhat similar, uh, they were able to hold on to a lot of traditions that were native to their to their home in West Africa. Again, some of the you know the dialect, the cuisine, all that good stuff. So if you come to Charleston, you'll hear an accent mainly by uh, the African Americans that it's not your typical Southern accent. It's not like that twangy twang uh, sort of talk. Um, it's very much so reminiscent of like a an accent from. 
by someone from the Caribbean. So your Jamaicas, your uh, your Guyana, Trinidad, Barbados, like all of those, like the the Gullah Geechee dialect is very similar to that. Um, even down to some of the the certain slangs that we use. So my wife, she's Guyanese, and um, it's crazy how all the similarities that we have as far as like dialect slang and even much so down to the cuisine like she grew up eating a lot of rice i grew up eating a lot of rice like we you know our dishes are very hearty and heavy which also uh extends to why i thought it would be a good idea to create a beer like the eight and all like that eight and a half beer strong ale not heavily hopped a lot of malt uh you know carbonations pretty pretty good and thick like that's kind of that complements cuisine like that because you know that food Gullah Geechee food Caribbean food West African food they're always, they're all pretty similar somewhat spicy a lot of stews you know sometimes meat that's been uh, cooked for an extended period of time a lot of rice a lot of food that's just going to stick to you and um, so like a big beer like a, a strong ale strong ale something that's like eight and a half percent like you know, that's going to kind of like, they're going to complement each other. So, so like, like, yeah, Gullah Geechee culture is like right in the middle of West African culture and Caribbean culture. If you know anything about what that is, um, dialect, landscape and cuisine. And then like, even more so when you go into like the, uh, urban area, there's a town called McClellanville, which is like a little bit North of, it's still Charleston County, but it's kind of like going towards, uh, Myrtle Beach, like, so there's a highway called Highway 17. And McClellanville is like literally, Highway 17 is going up the coast. On one side is the ocean, and on the left side you have, it's just country. But along this highway, you'll see like little shacks along the side of the road. And like you would, you'll see like older, mainly older African American women weaving baskets. You know, they just, and they, they just literally sell them from the side of the street. You just pull over, you see which basket you want, boom, 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 transaction, get back on the road. And uh, so what they're doing is like a sweet grass uh, basket weaving, which is African as hell. You know what I'm saying? So, but that's a, that's proof that, you know, because they were so, those descendants lived so close to the ocean and the landscape looked so much similar. It was very similar to where they came from. They were able to hold on to a lot of traditions. One of them being a sweet grass basket weaving, so... That's that's really well said, uh, and that's a great primer for anybody who is uh, unfamiliar with this, uh, with the culture that's that's still alive and well um, in South Carolina and, and the environs. One last question I wanted to ask you, uh, which you know comes from the text of the beer can, which I know you wrote. I had seen the text before it came on the can. The beer, of course, was brewed at at Edmonds Oast. It's a product of Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, so the beer, just like you, product of Charleston. But one piece that's mentioned uh, in the text of the can states that it's part of an ongoing effort to learn how American beer's inequalities today were constructed so we can tear them down and rebuild for the better. I'm wondering if you can comment a little bit on what you see torn down and what you see being rebuilt uh, for the better today in, in 2022. Um, you've certainly done your part and then some, uh, but maybe you see some other folks or maybe you, you have your hands in, in some other pots that you're stirring to, to, to make a rebuild gumbo, to make a rebuild stew that we're looking at here in 2022. 
I think a lot of people are, are, are doing it right now, man. Like, And I try to look at this from both sides. And what I mean by both sides, like, take our project. We found some information about this guy, Edmund Egan, and very quickly associated with Edmund Zost. Now, that could have been a situation where we just continued to, to punch down on them and, like, Oh, we're going to boycott. We could have been doing all these things. But in since like, I think, you know, I think we did it in a classy way where we mentioned the evidence of, uh, you know, let's not mention any words, the whitewashing of the fact that Edmund Egan had African-Americans brewing his beer. Edmund Zost never led with that information as their marketing. Clearly evidence of whitewashing, right? We identified that. Now, what's next? Do we continue to beat down, punch down? expose if you want to use that word or do we use this as a teaching mechanism and hopefully you know which they graciously did i have to give them you know a a, a lot of respect for you know just being open to the conversation and open to the change and admitting like yo we kind of messed up we apologize and we apologize for not even knowing and that's a whole nother story that i don't even you know we'll be here all day but like you know, the I, I think there has to be, okay, yo, this wasn't right, this wasn't cool. And then it has to be not necessarily ease up, but like allow grace for the the person on the receiving end to kind of like take that information in, you know, deduct it, what is you know, try to make sense of it. And then from there, where are we gonna go? I'm saying all that to say is that I think everyone a lot of people do that, especially when it comes to like uh, women in the industry. They're making some noise out here, which I love because, you know, it's able for me to kind of like learn some stuff and like learn what's cool. Now, am I going out, like putting my hands on women and calling them out of their, out of their names and stuff like that? No. But I think, you know, what I'm saying there's a fundamental way of how to be human but i think also uh culturally you know that can blind us and we may not see wrong in doing some things and it's not intentional but i just think a lot of times uh you know culturally like that can kind of like shape us to do dumb shit in a sense so it's like i love it like i get to sit back and like you know see these uh these women calling people out and it's like hell yeah like do that shit and like, because people need to know, and then, and then on the receiving end. So even if someone were to call out me, it's like, please call me out on doing some crazy stuff. And then all I would ask was like, okay, well, allow some grace so that I can understand what you're saying, and kind of like put that with what I've been taught or what I've learned, so that it's very clear to me as to why what I was doing was wrong or whatever. So do I see it? Yes, and I, I do see like a lot of change and. Yeah, like I, I think it's awesome, man. I think we're just in a good space right now to where, you know, it's people are really speaking up about shit that's just not cool. And I think a lot of people are accepting it as like, okay, well, we need to change. And then you still have some folk out there that kind of like sticking by their guns and just going to, you know, do their thing. But, you know, I think eventually they're, they're probably going to fall off <laughs> at some point, you know, because I think. It's, it's just a little bit more contagious now to kind of like be on the right side of history in a sense. I think it is contagious right now in 2022 to be on the right side of history. And um, that's very well said and, and well put. And, you know, I just think about it in, in 
my daily life for uh, my son. You know, I, I have a young son like you. He's six. Um, you know, recently learning about Ruby Bridges and, and the push to integrate uh, public schools. And it's wild to me to think that there are some folks who think it's not okay to teach this history, right? Um, but in a way, it's what we've done as public historians. You know, we, we are not some historians you have to uh, register and come to our class and you need prerequisite courses and all this. It's, it's right there on Good Beer Hunting. <laughs> if you go to goodbeerhunting.com, uh, take care of the root, you, you know, shoots and fest. If you click Jamal's name, you'll see his articles. And uh, the public history um, is right there. It's been whitewashed. You know, we were led to believe that um, African-Americans didn't have a role in, in brewing beer. But sure enough, um, at least in the case of Charleston, there, there were eight, eight African-Americans involved in, in the brewing. Um, and, you know, who took the credit? Of course, uh, uh, an enslaver, you know. But like you said, rather than, than doubling down and saying, you know, this is atrocious, throw it all out, burn it all down. It was how can we build? We can we can acknowledge this truth. This is terrible. This is awful. How do we go forward? How do we move on from here? And and I think you know in regards to um, the women uh, who are leading, um, you know specifically Brianna Allen, who asked this wonderful question: Have you ever been discriminated against? Have you ever ever experienced you know Have you ever experienced sexism in the beer industry? And the floodgates just opened. And we're dealing with that with that reconciling now, and 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 I completely agree with you. It's let the let the gates open and let the flood come out because there's no way to deal with that if if the truth doesn't get out, right? There's there's nothing there's nothing to uh, to expose the mold like the sunlight, you know. There <laughs> there's no better way to address it. So I think that's well said. Jamal, I am so grateful for your time. Thank you so much for joining us on DC Beer. If folks want to follow you, they want to pay attention to uh, to the writing you're doing, to um, podcasting or or photographs or, or or all your work. Where should they follow you? What's the best place to keep up with your your endeavors? Uh, the best place would be uh, Instagram. I'm not the biggest social media. I mean, like I'll post stuff on Instagram here and there, but. Uh, I don't go too crazy, I don't think. But I'm on Instagram, at Sweetgrass3. All of my pieces, uh, in particular, Take Care of the Root, uh, they're on uh, Good Beer Hunting. Right for Huckberry also, if you want to check me out on there. But uh, if you go to Sweetgrass3 on Instagram, it'll, there's a link that'll take you to all that good stuff. That's great. Uh, I'll just add, uh, if you go to goodbeerhunting.com, slash authors slash Jamal dash lemon. Uh, you'll find all of the work that Jamal has has uh, labored and brought us and we're all the better for. So Jamal, thank you again. And I look forward to our next conversation. Uh, and thank you, Mike. I, I appreciate it, man. I, I owe you a bunch, man. Like you guys were awesome, man. And it was so much fun. And it was just crazy how we all had to like deal with very personal things in our lives, but we still came together and did this thing that, I mean, it's still crazy to me, man. It's still crazy to me. So thank you, brother, for calling me in on it and, you know, just hearing me ramble. And thank you to Brian. Thank you to Pete. All of that, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much to our guest, Jamal, for joining us. We really appreciate you. Keep your eyes peeled to our website, where Mike Stein has an excellent timeline. Black Brewing and Black Beer Workers and Laborers in D.C. 
And remember, we are at DC Beer Brewers and Breweries. If you have upcoming releases, dc.beer slash releases. Let us know. All right. Be safe out there, folks. Miss y'all. See y'all soon.